630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. He'll hit Corey Watson with it. He'll sidestep one tackler and gets to the 20. Corey Watson inside the 10. Touchdown, Eskimo! Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. Maroon for your Edmonton Oilers for the next two games. He has been suspended for that headshot on Drew Doughty last night. The Oilers practicing today, and uh, guess what? They were working on their penalty kill, which continues to be historically bad, especially on home ice. The team that showed a little bit of flair, a little bit of life before Christmas with a four-game winning streak has now dropped four in a row, one point out of their last eight. It is looking bleak for the Oilers. Nine points out of a playoff spot. They hit the halfway point of the year tomorrow, and that'll be against the Anaheim Ducks. First of four meetings this season against Anaheim. Furnace Family Oilers Hockey, Edmonton's furnace replacement experts. Call 7804-FAMILY or visit FurnaceFamily.com. We'll sign on with the face-off show at 5.30 tomorrow afternoon and the game will start at 7. Connor McDavid, meanwhile, has been named the Pacific Division captain for uh, the All-Star game later this month. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks a lot for tuning in. It is 6.07 Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio, 6.30. Ched, we do have some Eskimos news regarding Brandon Zilstra going to the NFL. We'll talk about that a little bit later on, but we're going to dive in tonight with our weekly guest, former NHL goaltender, now with the NHL on Rogers. It is Kelly Rudy. Kelly, Happy New Year. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Reed. Happy New Year to you and all your listeners. Well, it's good to have you on the show, man. And uh, what, what a uh, what an interesting week uh, it has been. There, there's a there's a lot to talk to tonight, Kelly. So we'll dive right in. And before we get to the uh, Oilers penalty kill. Uh, one of your colleagues, Elliot Friedman, in his uh, 31 Thoughts column last week had a quote from an anonymous NHL coach, and to paraphrase, uh, this coach basically said, if Connor McDavid ever starts shooting more on the power play, we're all dead, because right now the Oilers' power play uh, is is pretty predictable. And uh, I found that pretty interesting, and I'm sure you did too. Yeah, well, you know, it's always... It is interesting, but there's always a lot more to it. And there's, uh, for one thing, I am a big proponent of taking tons of shots, and it doesn't matter five on five uh, or on a power play. I think that the number one thing you have to keep in perspective or in mind is that the goaltender always needs to know or feel that you're a threat or that you're dangerous so that you have more than one or two options. And to me, the best players throughout the history and even when I played always kept me on my toes because even if they had a, a, a lane open um, for, for a, what seems like a reasonable pass, if they always kept me honest and, uh, and attempted shots, even though it might not be the best play, just to plant in my head how dangerous it can be and, or how dangerous they can be, that's the number one aspect of all that. So I think that that comment uh, 
certainly has a lot of merit. I just think that there's even more to it when you take into the consideration what a goalie's thinking and why it's so important that you try and get shots, even if it's not the best shot you've ever seen. So when so when you played, the, the set-up men who were willing to fire it, was that the, the biggest fly in your ointment? Because if you knew a guy was a good passer... I mean, maybe he's going to thread one through that, that might be quick for you to get across. But if you knew he had that, that shot capability too, was that the biggest threat to you? Always. Because then I can't cheat. I can't sort of get to, you know, positioning. I can't sort of keep in the back of my mind, okay, this guy's going back door, and it seems like it might be the most obvious play, and everybody can read it. I'll give you an example. I may have shared this story one time with you. And it really bugged me, and it still bugs me to a certain degree because I should have known better. I was playing for San Jose, and Wayne Gretzky was playing for the Rangers. And we were having, I was having a pretty good game against Rangers. If I'm not mistaken, it might have been 0-0 or one nothing late in the second period. They were on the power play, and Gretz was to my left in the corner, and he is only about, I'm going to say, three, four feet above the goal line. But that was the key to me. And... And I, I knew to play him honestly, but I also knew, and I had taken a peek to see uh, Brian Leach coming back door. So he left his point position, and we've seen that play from Brian Leach and whether it's Wayne or many other uh, centers for years, him uh, just charging down uh, back door, and it's, it's a real difficult play to defend, especially if the pass is perfect. But I read it all the way, and I thought, I'm going to get, I'm all over this. And I know Wayne's going to, even how great he is at passing, I'm going to be on top of this. And, you know, the bugger, he, he faked me out. He made it seem as though he's opened up the blade a little bit for a pass, again, to Leach coming in from the back door. And then at the very last second, he cupped the blade over and shot it high short side over my glove hand. And so that, to me, is in a nutshell what I'm talking about, how you do have to keep in mind that the good guys shoot as often as they can, even if there's a play, because then if a goalie tries to sort of read it and get the upper hand, it just won't work. Well, that's that's a, an awesome story from obviously one of the, well, maybe the best passer to ever play, play the game, but right? we also know that, that Gretzky uh, could really shoot it as well. And, and it sounds, I mean, look, I, I fully admit, it may sound kind of silly here, dissecting Connor McDavid one little detail of his game after he won the scoring title and the MVP. But when the team's doing as poorly as the Oilers are doing, you're looking for any little thing uh, that can lead to more pressure and more goals. And they've obviously been shut out the last two games. Yeah. Uh, the other massive weakness is the penalty kill, and. Kelly, I mean, it's it's just over fifty five percent at home. It's it's by far the worst penalty kill on home ice since they started keeping the stat in the thirties, and it'll likely finish that way unless they go on some uh, otherworldly run, killing penalties. I mean, Rob and I were talking last night. T- to me, there is clear doubt with the team in in terms of of whether or not they can do it. They they've spent basically two full practices. Uh, working on it in in the last couple of weeks, and, and I, I I really think just from observing and, and hearing them talk about Kelly, it, it's it's a mental issue now as much as a physical performance issue. No question about it. And so when I saw saw these numbers, and I'm thinking about it, I'm looking at their team, and there's been some there's some pretty good guys on there that have been good defenders for years, and I'm thinking to myself, 
clearly this is stuck in their head. They've got the, the loop in their head, and it, it's only bad. And as soon as anything bad starts to happen, then they start chasing. They're always a split second behind, and you don't have to be, like, five feet behind a play. It's just a split second. You could be, like, six inches behind, and that's all the opposition needs. And the other thing is, um, you know, what tells you that it's a mental thing is penalty isn't like the power play. It, it's not creative. You don't need any, like, God-given ability more so than others. Um, you know, when you're talking about power play or just scoring five-on-five, there's some sort of unique creativity that's taking place as well. There's a feel for the game and so on. Hard work basically is a penalty kill. That's it. The right reads and outworking the other team. But if your if your brain isn't allowing you to think clearly, then you're in big trouble because what you you might think you're working hard, but you look as though you're lethargic because you're you're thinking now instead of just reacting. So. This is a really troubling situation to be in. First of all, uh, I can't imagine that 10 days ago, I was on Hockey Night in Canada on December 23rd, and I said, don't worry, the Oilers' problems are all behind them. I never imagined 10 days ago that now, Reed, you and I would be having this conversation about how their season might be in the toilet. It's just, that's how close this league is today. I was talking to a general manager about a week ago, and basically what his thoughts were, because of the parity in the league, this is a 500 league. What your team's job is to do is try and find another 10 points somewhere in the season. In all likelihood, that's going to get you in the playoffs or right close to it. So it's amazing. I just find that the twists and turns in the hockey season now for most teams is phenomenal. I've never seen anything like it. Well, yeah, and I and I mean a, a good uh, a good stretch of ten to twelve games or a bad one some, sometimes can be the difference for sure. And I mean, look at the Oilers nine points. That's uh, four and a half wins if you want to look at it that way. They've yep. uh, I, I mean they've been blown out. I, I had this stat last night. They've now lost f- six games, Kelly, by four goals or more. Mm-hmm. They lost two such games all of last year. Now, having said that, they they have four wins of four goals or more, which matches their total from all our last year. Like it's it's just been wildly back and forth, more down than up, unfortunately. But but they are in a tough spot right now. Uh, Kelly Rudy joining us at six fifteen. What did what uh, what what did you think of the maroon play and the subsequent two game suspension? I I, I thought he'd get a game. Uh, they, they wind up giving him two. I mean, obviously. Uh, I think in that split second, he knew he had the opportunity to to take a little bit of a shot because he's kind of yeah. had, had an ongoing thing with Dowdy. Yeah, for sure. There's history there in the sense that, you know, two rugged guys, and so when you get a chance, you, you've got to try and take it. Now, in this case, unfortunately for Maroon, the puck wasn't in the vicinity, really. So that what he thought was uh, an opportunity, um, just visually, it doesn't look so great. So... I do believe a two-game suspension is uh, accurate. Uh, I think that's one that you can live with. Clearly, when there it was, it looked intentional to make a hit. I don't think it was intentional to really go hard at the guy's head, at Doughty's head. Although there was the, the contact too. But to me, I just think it's two rugged guys, and that's how they play. I mean, um, Doughty crosses the line from time to time, and uh, Maroon, you know, you got to get your licks in every once in a while. I, I'm. I'm sure he's not happy with the suspension and the money that he's going to lose in there, but every once in a while you got to get a shot in. 
Let me just ask you one more about the penalty kill, uh, Kelly. If if you were a well, you were a player, but f- from your career, when there's a huge weakness, whether your penalty kill is low, you haven't scored a power play going a long time, maybe you're having poor second periods, whatever. Sometimes a consistent problem plagues yep. a team. Obviously, you're going to work on it in practice, but would you would you be of the mindset that the Oilers should be? Uh, talking about it all the time and always, you know, discussing it in the dressing room? Or do you think that once they put in the practice time that they got to try to just not discuss it and dwell on it? I wouldn't dwell on it. It's time to move forward. I've always said you have to um, be able to push the erase button. Just let it go. I know it's really difficult because clearly when you have the numbers uh, that the Oilers have on the PK, it, it grinds away. But you've got to find a way to work uh, on that um, part of your game in practice. you got to make sure everybody's clear on their assignments and when you're going to pressure, when you're not going to, uh, any of the rotations, all those sorts of things. But the last thing I would do is talk a lot about it. I, I just wouldn't. And maybe other coaches see it differently or other players, but I know that when I personally identified an issue and then uh, I was trying to I, I knew what was going on, and so I tried to work on it on my own, and I just hated it when the coach would bring it up over and over and over. And then, to me, that's all I could think about. And then I got in a nervous state when we're talking about that sort of situation. So uh, I've always said, that, you know, you've got to find a way to make the guys aware of what's going on, but they're only going to really perform to their best capabilities if they're relaxed. And clearly the Oilers... On the penalty killer, or on the penalty killer, not relaxed. They're they're uptight. They're worried. They have uh, all these bad thoughts. What's going to happen here? What if we give up a goal in this one? And you know, like I've always said, it's a loop that gets stuck in your head. And when that happens, you're in big, big trouble. Kelly, it's great to have you on the show. Uh, who knows what we're going to be talking about next week? Maybe they'll win three in a row. I'm not <laughs> optimistic, but uh, give, be good. It'd, be, it'd be neat to see. Thanks for your time, buddy. Have a great uh, rest of your week. We'll talk to you next week. Okay, see you, Reed. Thanks, bud. Kelly Rudy checking in, former NHL goaltender, now with the NHL on Rogers. Always enjoy talking to him, and certainly there is a, a, a bit of loop of, well, not a bit, a, a big loop of doubt about the penalty kill stuck in the Oilers' head. And uh, the power play is not great either when you compare the numbers to last season and the number of goals that have been scored. We have some comments from Todd McClellan, from Darnell Nurse, from Mark Letestu, a little bit more from the Department of Player Safety on the Maroon suspension. It's Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio, 6.30, Chad. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 6.30, Chad. All right, thanks for tuning in tonight. So Patrick Maroon gets a two-game suspension for the headshot on Drew Doughty. Here's some audio from the player safety suspension video. Doughty, having never touched the puck, turns to head back up ice in pursuit of the loose puck. Maroon steps down and delivers a high, hard hit to Doughty that makes substantial head contact. This is interference. It is important to note that Doughty never touches the puck and therefore is never eligible to be checked on this play. While we understand that Maroon reasonably anticipated that Doughty would get the puck, the onus is on the hitter to ensure the player he is hitting is eligible to be checked and that the hit is delivered legally.
on this play. At the moment, Maroon commits to the hit. The puck is in the possession of McDavid. Maroon's belief that Dowdy might gain possession of the puck, however reasonable, does not excuse him from responsibility when he hits a player who is not eligible to be checked. Finally, in addition to this being interference, what causes this hit to rise to the level of supplemental discipline is the significant force and the substantial head contact that occurs. All right, so there's the the meat of the video. Obviously, the, the, the head shot, and, and one of the key things in there is that it's the hitter's job to avoid the head, whether or not he, he meant to do it or not. It, it's the up to the person delivering the hit to avoid uh, the head shot. And, and as they said in the video, even though maybe Maroon thought Dowdy was going to get the puck, he did not have the puck when the hit was delivered. I, you know, if it's me, I probably give Patrick Maroon a game. I've seen a lot more vicious things. Um, you know, there wasn't an elbow involved, but you can't deny it was a headshot. I, I did think the match penalty and the game misconduct was uh, was an appropriate call as much as it wound up costing the Edmonton Oilers, unfortunately. Uh, if you want to talk a little bit about the team, we have time in the next uh, half hour. I'm sure a lot of you are thinking a lot of different things. You can also text 630-630. Our phone number is 780-496-0063. Jim, I see you're on the phone line, but I want to give you more than the uh, about 40 seconds I would have for you. So if you can hang on through the news, that would be great. Your Oilers update is presented by Niskew Ford. Every model on sale every day. Niskew Ford above expectations. Some other notes today. Brandon Zilstra, the Eskimos' re- leading receiver. In fact, the leading receiver in the CFL last year, close to 1,700 yards, has signed on with the Minnesota Vikings. Of course, Zilstra from the state of Minnesota. And this is an interesting trade. Zach Kalaros from Hamilton to Saskatchewan for the 10th overall pick in the CFL. Draft. If you've been listening to this show since I've been doing it, you know I've been pretty high on Zach Caleros. I think I twice picked him to win MOP, and uh, both seasons he wound up getting hurt and not finishing. This year he didn't finish because June Jones came in as head coach and Jeremiah Mazzoli took over at quarterback. I still think Caleros is a really good QB. I think that helps Saskatchewan a lot, and you got to look at them as one of the maybe the favorite to win the Grey Cup this season, given what Chris Jones has done there. I think Jones is further going to help Kalaros develop, and I don't think there's a quarterback in the CFL who throws better on the run than Zach Kalaros. Very skilled in that area, so I think that's a good pickup for Saskatchewan. Bad one for the Eskimos and the rest of the West. All right, your phone calls, a little more from Oilers practice today, all coming up inside sports on 630 Chet. This is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. Well, there's a classic from my childhood. Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Really appreciate you tuning in tonight. It is 633. So Patrick Maroon suspended for two games. Won't have him tomorrow. Won't have him Saturday in Dallas. That's the start of a five-game road trip for the Oilers leading into their bye week. All NHL teams get their bye week of five or six days in January. Last week, they were spread out in January, February, and I believe Anaheim's even went into the start of March. And, of course, the Oilers continue to struggle with the penalty kill. They worked on it again in practice today. We'll talk a little bit more about that. And the power play, too, which uh, is an issue and has dropped off quite a bit in production from last year as well. Special teams, a huge culprit to the Oilers, well, 
I guess you can almost call it an, an impending demise, at least in terms of a playoff spot. My name is Reed Wilkins. You can text 63630. We have some open line time, 780-496-0063. We have Jim calling in. Hello, Jim. Thank you, Reed. Happy New Year, and, and for letting me at least talk for more than 40 seconds. No problem. Uh, Reed, my first game last night at the Rogers Place. Uh, what can you say? Uh, awesome. Um, of course, I was right behind the Oilers' net, so I got to see all the goals I didn't want to see. Uh-oh. Which is rather disappointing, but that, that's just how it turned out. Um, my thought on all this is, yes, there's blame to go around. Uh, there's blame for the guy last night who took the dumb penalty. I think it was dumb. His emotions are high, yes. In any game they are, but still you have to be accountable, and uh, it costs the Oilers the game. Uh, this is not a team, in my opinion, that has the ability to get, get behind one nothing or 2 nothing, and all of a sudden turn on the light switch. It just doesn't work anymore. Accountability, Reed, uh, I'm not going to blame the coach. I'm going to blame the GM. If you look at how many foot soldiers we don't have compared to last year, I think that's the Oilers' problem, is we just don't have the guys that the, the gritty guys, the, the Matt Hendricks, so forth that we had last year, and if you look at, and I don't know how many players the differences between last year and this year, maybe you can look it up sometime, but I think this is what hurting this club is we have no identity. Well, that's an interesting point. Uh, I mean, Matt Hendricks is is gone. Uh, I guess you could say that. Uh, I don't even know who you would say his replacement is. Well, kind of Kara started taking his spot last year. Camilleri's here as a veteran, totally different type of player as Hendricks. Pouliot is out. Now, I think we obviously recognize most fans probably didn't want Pouliot back. Uh, Eberle was traded for Strom, and that has turned out to be an extreme drop-off in game impact. And Eberle was frustrating a lot of people last year, including me. Uh, but I had... I, I didn't think Strom would be that invisible almost almost nightly. Um, look, I, I think that there is a lot of blame to go around when you're nine points out of a playoff spot after having a good year last year. I think Peter Shirelli uh, vastly overestimated what some players would be able to do. And I think maybe a lot of us did too who watched the games. Having said that, if you or I do it, then our buddies make fun of us for making a wrong prediction. If Peter Shirelli does it, you have a team that uh, was close to being an elite team last year, now looking like like an also-ran. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do think you really have to go over some of Shirelli's decisions over the last six months. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and I'll give, I mean, if you want to talk to Coach, the only thing that the dumb call or, or the dumb move that I think that he made is putting number 98 in the penalty to kill the five minutes. This is a young kid that's got speed, and you got what? What good? What is he going to learn in the penalty box? Well, I don't think I mean, they they have him as a penalty killer yet, but maybe someday, yeah. maybe someday he will be. No, yeah, but yeah, but, but but sitting in, but sitting him in there for five minutes. I mean, to me, uh, I mean, if the other guy's going to cut a penalty, it might have been four and four again. Then then you've got speed again. But to put him in for five minutes, uh, I'm sorry, I just that that I I couldn't get. But like again, I'm just a fan, Reed. Well, yeah, that's okay, Jim. It's always good to hear from you. Thanks for calling. All right, take care, man. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. I was uh, talking to Kelly Rudy about uh, the shooting on the power play and referenced the Elliot Friedman anonymous quote he got from a Western Conference coach saying that once McDavid shoots on the power play, we're all dead because right now the Oilers' power play is predictable. Somebody texted in saying the Oilers have been at the top for shots on goal all season. That's not the answer. Fair point in terms of that the Oilers have had a lot of shots on goal. I think they've been in the top five most of the season. I don't have the stat open right now. 
But in terms of the power play, I do believe that they're not shooting enough. And I'm going to play a little clip here from McClellan's availability. A, it's it's you might get a little bit of a laugh out of it because you'll see how it went. But I, I think McClellan's answer uh, to my question here kind of makes my point before I get back to your phone calls. Here we go. Is there a mentality that you would like the power play players to adopt that they haven't quite adopted or not quite executed? And, I, and I, I'm kind of referencing shot volume here and getting the puck to the net as early as possible. Yeah, and I, I think that you guys have asked good questions, but you've answered them while you've asked them today. So, yes. Okay. So, shot volume, getting shots to the puck early on a power play or quickly once you set up with the man advantage and creating a bit of a frenzy or rebound or puck battle situation around the net. Craig Simpson talked about that with Stoffer today too. Get the puck near the net, try to get an outnumbered three-on-two, four-on-three puck battle and, and keep banging away. The, the Oilers' zone entries are okay on the power play, probably above average maybe. I mean, McDavid can skate it in. Uh, they can sure as heck set it up and pass it around, but but at, at some and it, and it, and I know we've talked. Well, they don't have a bomb from the point. You know, fair enough. Sometimes getting pucks through is a problem, but but they they don't have a shooting mentality on the power play. I, I really believe that, despite the shot on goal totals for the year, I I think that is hindering the team, and they have dropped off from 27 power play goals after 40 games last year to 18 this year. And I think we all recognize the penalty kill is the big problem, but the power play hasn't often provided a goal at a key time. The Oilers had two power plays when the game was 0-0 last night. So my obvious statement of the evening, you can get a goal, you can maybe actually have the lead and change the complexion of the game. So, and the question I threw out there, McClellan basically agreed with me, that the mentality of shooting early and often on the power play is not there. But they want it to be there. Brad on the line. Hello, Brad. Hey, how's it going? Hey, I'm doing quite well. It's good to hear from you. Good. Hey, you know, one thing that I'm sure maybe some of myself and some other fans get choked up about too, like just talking about uh, Maroon's penalty and his uh, subsequent... uh, uh, suspension. You know, one thing drives me bonkers is that these guys, you know, they, they'll hand out a suspension on that, but, you know, and then somebody like Dowdy comes back and contributes to getting more goals in the course of the game, and you know, like, if there, if it was a, if Maroon would have fought him, or Dowdy, if him and Dowdy would have fought, and Dowdy would have went down and banged his head, they each would have got a five-minute penalty, and enough said, they go to the boxes, Dowdy would have been out for the game and come back, whatever. But, you know, something like that I think I think I've seen guys hit their head worse by in a fight rather than what happened in the penalty so so sorry Brad are you are you criticizing the the concussion protocol in general and the apparent inconsistency in how it's applied is that what you mean yeah okay yeah because to me if, if Dowdy's got a, a good concussion he should be taken out of the game like our like basically we lost the game because of the because of that because our PK, obviously, but the three subsequent goals after that and on a five-minute major, right? Okay, but, I just, just like, you know Dowdy did go through the protocol, right? But it was mostly during the intermission. Yeah. That's why he, I think he only no, missed a right. shift. That's yeah, right. okay. okay. That's right, yeah, exactly. But, but you know, what I'm saying is that, okay, so now now Maroon gets a two-game suspension, but had those, let's say if those on uh, hypothetical, if they would have fought, 
and they would have went down to the ice and Dowdy would have banged his head. He would have still went through the protocol at that intermission and come back and played the game, and we nobody would have been shorthanded. Right. You know what I mean? I, I, it's kind of a – I don't know how they how they come up. I guess they're worried about player safety, but at the end of the day, that did ultimately cost us the game because our – you know, and I guess not – not just that, but because our penalty kill is terrible. Well, but. penalty kill is is terrible. I, I mean, I think you you raise uh, a point that is, uh, and Rob and I have talked about this after games too, that sometimes you see a guy appear to be dazed or shaken up, and he he doesn't miss a shift. Whereas other guy, other times you something appears to happen where a guy. Uh, really, you know, doesn't doesn't look that bad, and and the concussion spotter pulls him off, like the McDavid incident against Minnesota last year. You know, and, sh- and should a goalie not have to go off every time he takes a puck to the mask? You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah. They got to they, they got to check him out and make sure they're safe. Right. But at the end of the day, we are, we're serving a five minute major, and you know what? The guy comes back. He's obviously fine because he passed the protocol. Is there? Do they really have to keep on with the five-minute major? Should they once they score a goal on that? You know what? Let the guy back out of the box because at the end of the day, if you know if something like that happened during a Stanley Cup final, you know, and they may they probably wouldn't let that happen during a Stanley Cup final, you know. But right. you know, if that happened in a final game or, or cost somebody the playoffs, there'd be some some people pretty choked up. Brad, thanks for calling, buddy. So, right on, later. Okay. Got a text here. Uh, this person says, Kara is not Matt Hendricks. Come on, don't even try to make that comparison. The Oilers miss Hendricks' leadership and toughness, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, they're, they're, I, I'm not – what I was saying was Kara basically supplanted Hendricks in the lineup last year during the playoffs. The, I mean, the Hendricks discussion is an interesting one because he was not playing uh, last year, late in the season for the Oilers. Jujar Kara has more offensive ability than Matt Hendricks. He he does clearly does not have the the veteran presence, the uh, the leadership, and and the toughness that Hendricks had. Hendricks is doing very well in Winnipeg. If you're if you're asking me if he would be if the Oilers had kept him, if he would be a regular in the lineup, I really can't answer that because I just don't know. Mark on line two. Hey, Mark. Hey, how you doing? Uh, a couple things here. There's a lot been written and said about the. Uh, the game has changed now, and the Oilers are four or five years behind the times this year. Really, I think uh, this. Uh, I think Jones even written today that they shouldn't change a coach or GM. And a couple of questions I have about that is, uh, um, like some of uh, McClellan's systems, he drive me nuts. That reset behind the net and ringing around the boards. I don't see any other team doing that. And it, it it just drives me crazy. Russell's probably the worst at resetting and just waiting and waiting. Even on the power play, I noticed a couple of games ago they do that. I was watching the other game, Boston and the Islanders last night. There is no resetting behind the net on the power play. And not just the power play, but just in general. But I watched specifically the Bruins power play. They don't do that. And that ring around the boards, what do you think of that play? People have been kind of complaining about that since even last year in the defensive zone. Like when a guy, they like, just say bring it around the boards, and the, the winger's supposed to get it at the other, at the blue line, the other side. Well, I don't That's like it if you don't. Have, I don't like it if you don't have quick wingers on the ice. Wow. And the, and the other thing, they, sometimes when they do get it, either the opposite team jumps up and cuts it off so the winger don't get it, or if the other winger does get it, he's standing still when he gets it. It's just a crazy system, and that's got to be coaching because they've been doing that system since last year. 
I'll have to watch more closely for it, Mark, and, and I'll have to watch more closely to how often other teams do or don't do it. And the other thing, the point I want to make about the Chiarelli thing, I'm not, I'm not firing him. Okay, uh, if you go forward with him, uh, I think the team has to be reconstructed in a certain way, like, a, you know, get whatever, like a guys for uh, speedier guys, snipers, that kind of thing. It has to be reconfoiled somehow. Sure. Do you trust, well, some of the guys you, he thought would score goals haven't scored. Right, but the thing is, the point is going to make, do you trust him to make some moves to do it? If you go back in time, when in two years, when they hired Shirelli, and you had a crystal ball and said, in two years he's going to get rid of Hall, Eberle, give up a first and a 33rd pick for a player who will never play for you, you would say you're you're. you're bonkers if you think a new GM is going to do that to this team. Sure, and I, I, and you probably heard me being critical of Shirelli earlier, but if you would have said to me he would have traded for a goalie who was a top five Vesna vote, you know, well, I, yeah. I, I think what Not he does year. now is going to determine how long he's the general manager of the team. But that's the problem. Do you let him keep going forward and ruin them even more? Like, the talent that he bleeds, and the ones I just listed, is undeniably the worst of any GM in the league. Nobody bleeds talent like that. Mark, thanks for calling. Appreciate it. 780-496-0063. Jared and Terrence coming up next. Quick timeout. Hi, this is Ryan Nugent Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. Here's what's going on in the NHL tonight. Senators trail the Red Wings 1-0 in the second period after the first. Blackhawks and Rangers are tied 1-1. 6:51. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. We have Mark on the line. Hello, Mark. Hey, Reed. It's Barb Shoup here. Hey, I just wanted to make a couple of comments. I've been an Oilers fan from the WHA days, and I've supported them thick and thin. The worst thing we did was hire Peter Shirelli because he's living like in the past. That's why Boston got rid of him. Is that that Lucci's deal rivals the David Clarkson deal that Toronto made? And my final comment is: Look at Vegas. They're a whole team of second and third liners without two really big stars that are taking all the payroll. And hockey's a team game. And when you when you spend all your money on two players, you're not going to win hockey games. Thanks, Mark. Vegas is an incredible story. I. I... I can't explain the Oilers' penalty killing. I can't explain Vegas, but but they're doing incredible. Uh, just quickly here before I go back to the phone lines, I, I was a little surprised to learn after 40 games, the Oilers have scored one more goal than they did last year, 114 to 113, even though uh, I have often been lamenting the Oilers' lack of support scoring this year. They have allowed 20 six more goals than they did at this time last year. They have allowed 15 more goals against on the penalty kill than they did at this time last year. They have scored nine fewer power play goals than they uh, did at this time last year. So if you look, if you compare the uh, special teams goals from this time last year to now, they're 24 goals worse on special teams. Jared is on line three. Hello, Jared. Hi, Reed. I just want to make a couple comments about the Oilers' uh, power play and penalty kill. And, you know, when I look back like at all the teams I've watched in the past, the absolute best power play and penalty kill I ever saw was the 19, 
91 Minnesota North Stars. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> in, in the playoffs. And I know people say it's a long time ago and all this crap. Or That's the team that was really bad for half the season yeah. and then had an incredible finish in playoff. Well, yeah, yeah they, they only won like 27 or 28 games. But I remember, to this day, I'm pretty sure you could check it because i do not very good at navigating the statistic part. They scored. They have still have the record for most power play goals in a playoff year. They were absolutely devastating. And the whole key to that power play, it was all keyed off Mike Medano's one-timer or Mark Tenorti's at the point. And so the, the, the checkers are moving up to the point. It opens everything down low. And they had some good players like Brian Bellows, Brian Prop, Dave Gagne. They had some good forward. But the whole, like the others don't have, and I'm not saying you need it, but they don't have anybody at the point that is going to pull the forwards up. So it's so tight down low, and they can't make any plays like Connor McDavid or Leon Dreisel. There's just no room because they know there's no threat from the point, so they all collapse around the net. But also that year, Minnesota, I think they had the best penalty because like 85 86% in the playoffs. And who did they do it against? Three out of the top four or five power plays in St. Louis with Brett Hall and, and, and uh, Adam Oates, mm-hmm. Mary Lemieux, and I think with Jeremy Roenick and Steve Larmer in Chicago, and what they did is they never just threw the puck down the ice. Every time they got the puck, they tried to make a play with it. The Oilers, when they get the puck, they just panic. Throw it down the ice, but there's time to make plays. But it really threw off three of the best power plays in the league. And I think, you know, the game has changed, I understand, but there's still things to be learned from some of the teams in the past. But I remember I was a Chicago Edmonton fan at that time. And yeah. I remember the series, Chicago and Minnesota. I could not believe what was going on. That's and interesting, like, man. That's, that's, yeah, it, I'd have to go back and check those stats, but that was a bit of a, they, they yeah. were a good team. Obviously, Mario took them down in the in the final. Jared, we'll talk to you soon, okay? Okay, take it easy. Okay, guys, I, I'm up against the, the clock here, and I got a guest at, at 7.05 I think you're going to enjoy. So I got a minute for Terrence and then a minute for Anthony. Terrence, you're up first. Hey, um... I don't want to be the guy to keep piling on Shirelli, but like I, I can't blame the coaching staff for much this year, but I'd say like for sure stubbornness has cost them probably a few games, especially in the first 20 to 25 uh, games of the season. Like just total unwillingness to shake things up to try and to try and generate some some energy at least. But um, that's pretty much all the fault that I can put on the coaching staff. Like. It was just too many question marks from Shirelli this season. And, like, in his interviews, like, everything he talks about, it like, and then the moves he makes seem almost counterintuitive to what he talks about in his interviews, right? Like, and, it, like, it's just ridiculous, like how your other caller talked like, about, just, like, just, just bleeding talent, yeah. right? Give me, quickly give me one example, though, because, I mean, originally he did say he wanted to get a goalie, some defense, and some size, and he did get that, like, initially. Yeah, well, and, like, <laughs> sound like a broken horse, but, like, I, I'm still of the belief that we lost the, the Hall trade. Yeah. Like, I like Larson as a defenseman, but, like, there needed to be more pieces coming back in that, especially when you give up the the uh, first and the 33rd pick for, for Reinhardt. Well, the Reinhardt that. deal was a, was a huge loss, and, and uh, quite frankly, Terrence, the, the Everly trade is uh, concerns me more than what happened with Hall. But fair, fair criticism for sure. Thanks, buddy. I don't, 
Yeah, okay, bye. Yeah, sorry to cut you off, but I just promised I would get Anthony in here. Anthony, uh, go as quick as you can, buddy. Yeah, sure. I just want to point out a couple questions here. Uh, so I, I look at the games, and I'm watching the team from last year, and this year there's not much personal personnel change. You can't tell me that Hendricks made that much of a difference on the PK, and from a scoring standpoint, 5-on-5, five five, Everly didn't, had, a, had an off, off year. So the way I look at it is either there's a locker room issue that's going down or the fact that the teams have figured the Oilers out and how they actually kill penalties and when their strategy. Those are the only two scenarios that I can think of because, like I said, those guys that went up, went out and came back in, didn't. Aren't, I don't think they're that much of an impact. And I could be wrong, but uh, th- there's no explanation on this team whatsoever. Like For a penalty kill to be that bad with that much talent, I'm probably to be that bad with that much talent. Yeah. Well, and they can kill penalties on the road, which to me makes it even more confusing. And yeah. They, so, so that's what I mean. Like strategy. Yeah. I think they figured them out. I think teams have figured out how they how they penalty kill. And that then to me then that goes on the coaches and not the GM. That that speaks volumes on the on the coaching staff. Anthony, good to hear from you. Take care. Okay. Thanks. Appreciate it. 780-496-0063. We're going to meet Lorne Weber from the Edmonton Seahawks hockey team for visually impaired players. Pretty cool story coming up. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.